Good day to be at church. You know what a baby in a church crying is, right? The sound of the future right in your presence. Isn't it cool? One of the amazing things that happens, uh, and we've seen testimony of it today, in the way that God works, is that He moves on the heart of some person, difficult circumstance, great circumstance, it doesn't really matter. He moves on the hearts of some person. And in that place, wherever they find themselves, they move forward with Him. And they touch someone else's heart. They just talk to them. They share with them. They pray with them. They lift them up. They, they talk to them about what God is doing. It doesn't matter. It, it, they just reach out, extend themselves to bless someone else. And it starts a chain reaction. And that chain reaction just keeps moving. Twelve disciples, even 70 or 120 people, did not spread the gospel around the world with their own voices. In 300 years, generations of people began to talk about what they'd experienced with the people who had experience with Jesus. And see, that's what the disciples were. That's what the apostles were. They were just people who had had an experience with Jesus. And as such... Those experiences kept getting retold and retold and retold. Today, we're talking about the unlikely disciple. Now, there's probably that title could be applied to any and all of the disciples of Jesus from the first until today, right? Because no one's really likely to be a disciple. Most of the people that we look at that we might think of that they're likely to be a disciple, one of two things is true. Either they already are and you're just seeing the fruit of Jesus in their life or we don't know much about them. And even those that we think are really the ones you think should be a disciple. If you probably drilled down a little bit, you'd find that uh, just below the the surface, the grace of God is covering what needs to be covered for them, just as it is for you and I. This morning we're going to talk about Mary of Magdala. Mary Magdalene, she's been called. Some think that the title Mary Magdala may not be related to the place Magdala, but it may actually be a description of her stature. Because the term can mean uh, one who's lifted up. It can mean mountainous. It can can mean high. And so some people think that maybe this is actually referring not to the place where she was from, but in fact her stature, that maybe she was either tall or a commanding presence or something of that nature. We don't know a lot about her, really. We kind of put some pictures together from Scripture in a lot of places. She's actually mentioned more in the Bible than some of the disciples. As we said, some of the disciples are only mentioned by name. We don't even know anything about the background. But we find this phrase from Jesus to her at the resurrection. This woman has the honor of being the first person to see the resurrected Jesus personally. Now stop and think about what that means. She's a female. First century ladies, much worse than it is today. There's a glass ceiling today. There was no ceiling at all. You were in the basement in the first century. There was just a floor above you and you hoped to make it to the floor. Mary was a woman. She was a woman of some questionable background. 
eight or seven demons had been cast out of her by Jesus. I mean, one demon's pretty bad. Imagine having one for each day. Here's my Monday demon, my Tuesday demon, my Wednesday. Some of you, some of you know, you kind of felt some of those things come at you. Demons cast out of this woman. And yet she's the one up before dawn, down at the tombs. She is the one who Jesus says, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And he says to her, go and tell my disciples and Peter that I'm alive and I'll meet them. First person who hears the voice of the resurrected Jesus doesn't recognize him at first until he speaks her name. I wonder if that's going to be the case in heaven. We arrive in heaven and we'll have to be introduced to Jesus because we won't recognize it. But when we hear his voice, we'll recognize that voice that we've been hearing all our lives. Since even we were not Christian, since before we had given our heart as a place for him, I wonder if we'll recognize that voice. She's Jewish. Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. She traveled with Jesus and helped support the ministry of Jesus financially. Now think about that. Best we can tell, her financial stature had been earned in some illicit ways. She followed Jesus helps support his ministry and him and his disciples. She's present at the crucifixion. Eleven out of the twelve disciples are off and hiding. Well, ten out of the twelve because one is hanging from a tree. He hanged himself. And yet the women are the ones standing around the cross. Three different Marys standing there. And John. Some people have thought that perhaps the reason Jesus said to John, Woman, this is your son was because he was the only one there. John wasn't picked because he was so awesome. He was just there, present. She's the first to see Jesus resurrected. There are a lot of places where we can pick up these pieces, but I just want to get this one from Luke chapter 8, because it probably is the one that most of, you, most of us are least familiar with. It describes Mary and some of these others. The twelve were with him. We know those guys. We've talked about them. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Certain women whom Jesus had touched specifically are there as well. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he had, had come seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Let's stop for just a second. Steward of Herod's house, the guy who takes care of his food. His wife is a follower of Jesus. Getting close to home there. Guy who handles your potatoes, makes sure your food is good. His wife is a follower of your arch enemy. Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. You know, churches very often full mostly with women. There are churches, I mean, ours is a pretty good mix, but there are lots and lots of places where. If there were no women in the church, there'd be very few people in the church. 
It's the, it's the openness of the heart of a woman, I think, to, to the things of God that seem, they seem to be able to be touched more easily. Whereas men, we put up different kinds of barriers. And uh, to be present here, gentlemen, it is, a, it is a testimony by your very presence against the way the world sees Jesus. In this case, in the first century, it was a large group of women following the disciples and Jesus and helping manage and take care of them. Then there is the spike nard incident. It's been about three years since he cast seven demons out of her. A party is thrown at the home of a man named Simon the leper. It's in the city of Bethany where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live. Jesus' disciples are there. The Bible seems to indicate that there may have been some other people there as well because it talks about a large gathering of people from Jerusalem who were coming to Bethany not just to see Jesus but to see Lazarus. They kind of wanted to talk to this guy who'd been dead. I, I, I love the fact that they're, you know, imagine what that was like. The guy comes back from the dead. What was it like? What was it like? Tell, tell us, what did you experience? What, was that? what, what happened with that? When, when, when you went down, when you came back, what did you see? What went on? Because there are lots of speculation, just like today, about what, what happens when you die. Did you see a light at the end of a tunnel? Oh, did you find the light? Nope, went to sleep, woke up, Jesus was there. It was cool, but that was it. Your friend Lazarus sleeps. So there may have been quite a number of people gathered at this party, and it may be that it's at at this particular Pharisee's house. That's why this, this man, Simon, is a Pharisee who once was a leper, who was healed by Jesus, who was holding a party at his house because it's the biggest house in town. And the crowd comes. They make their way in and each kind of finds a place. Martha's there. She's an invited guest because she's going to do the cooking. She's the best cook in town. She seems to know how to manage these large groups and crowds, and so she's there. Lazarus is there. He's an invited guest because, I mean, the guy was dead and now he's alive. Everybody wants to see this guy. One sits on one side of Jesus, Lazarus, whom he's just raised from the dead. Because of it, it, it being his home, on the other side of Jesus is Simon the Pharisee, who has been healed of leprosy. Pretty cool thing all by itself. And as the guests gather and the lights dim and the dinner starts and the candles are lit and people start moving about and talking and food is spread around, a woman, if we can use the word of the day, lurking in the shadows. In the shadows is the uninvited guest, Mary. And she makes her way out of the shadows. She has in her possession, maybe tucked into her clothes somewhere, a little box. A box that holds six ounces of very expensive perfume. This perfume is spikenard. It's imported from the Himalayas then and now. So imagine this perfume traveled across at least India, what we know as modern day Iran, Iraq, followed the, the rivers then up north into what we would call somewhere in southern Turkey, then came down through the mountains into northern Israel and found its way to Jerusalem and finally to Bethany into her possession. 
imported from the Himalayas. It's distilled from the rhizomes of a small plant. This plant only grows about three feet. Rhizomes are root sections under the ground. They're not regular roots. Potatoes are rhizomes. Okay, they're like that. They're like an element on a root. And they actually are taken out of the ground, crushed and ground up, and boiled down into an intensely aromatic perfume. Get the words intensely aromatic. I went on Amazon, and you can buy spikenard, and if you were to look closely at that label, it says that it's actually imported from the Himalayas. This is the real stuff. This is not the stuff down at Walgreens. That little bottle is 1.5 milliliters. About that much. 1.5 milliliters, 50 bucks. So today, to get 16 ounces of this would be over $1,000. Cheap by first century standards. I mean, after all, the shipping is much easier. The gathering is much easier. I mean, Amazon can get it to my house in two days. One, if I push for it. But in the first century... A year's wages. So just think about your annual income. Think about the average annual income for somebody in our community. A year's salary to buy a 16-ounce box of that. Most of you, when you go to a fast food place, get more to drink than that. A whole year's salary. You know, the large at a, at a start, what, um, Venti. Why don't they just call them small, medium, and large? Venti actually means 20 because it's 20 ounces. So now your Italian is better, you can order properly. So most of us regularly consume 16 ounces without thinking about it. 16 ounces of this stuff brought by camel from the Himalayas was a full year's salary. Full year. She's lurking in the shadows with a little box with 16 ounces that she knows when she pops the lid on this thing, she's no longer lurking anyway. She's, She's raised both hands so everybody will know where she is. When Jesus was in Bethany, Matthew 26, this is recorded in all four Gospels. It was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. A woman came to him having an alabaster flax, a very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. You are not a secret anymore. You didn't get invited, but you just crashed the party and screamed and hollered and turned up the music. Mary took a full pound of very costly oil. So I want you to get the pieces here. She poured oil on his head, but she didn't pour a little bit. She put 16 ounces of very pungent, very expensive, oil-based perfume on Jesus' head. You don't think that this is as cool as it is. I'm telling you, this is pretty phenomenal. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. So I want you to recognize she didn't take the cap off. She was all in. 
She broke this thing open and dumped the whole thing on Jesus. This is not, I got a lot, I'll give him a little. This is not a tithe of it even. This isn't, a, isn't even a large offering of it. This is the whole deal. Full year's salary gone just like that. And along with it, all of her anonymity gone just like that. Where did this woman get the money for this perfume? Funny. That when your past is erased, your past is erased. And Jesus doesn't question the results of your past in the present once your heart is in his hands. Jesus doesn't question the results of your past once you're in the present if your heart is in his hands. She is completely sold out to what she's doing. We come to church, right? And we come with our hang-ups intact, right? Our little insecurities. We come with them intact. We come and we sit down and, and we wonder what the person behind us thinks about the hair that you do. That we, well, some of us worry about what goes on with the hairdo that's back there, right? We worry what people will think about the clothes we wore. We worry about, about if we stand up and we sing too loud, will somebody notice and will they be offended? Or if we, if, we, if we come and we worship with too much of our heart, what happens? Are, 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 do you ever come and just go all in? Even when we come to worship, which we know is a gathering of people who have come to, to at least seek the presence of God. Those who know and those who don't know are still kind of in there, in here looking for the same thing. But do we ever just go all in? We have cultural hang-ups. We have family cultural hang-ups. We have personal hang-ups. And we bring them all in and we kind of, we kind of build the wall of hang-ups around our activity. Right? We would never do this. Too many hang-ups. Here's this woman who has forgotten herself for a moment. Ever done that? I'm a pretty sanguine person, as most of you are aware. Every once in a while, my mouth gets away from me. And I say things that didn't get processed through the filter. And they're really what my heart thinks, but my mouth didn't get a chance to, 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 to slow down before it got out. And I found my, find myself exposed by myself. That's what this was. That's what was going on here. She pulls out the little flask. She is so encumbered by the love of Jesus and so ex- just ecstatic about what she's about to do. She just breaks this thing open and starts pouring it on Jesus' head. And it starts running down like the anointing of Abraham and Aaron, and it just runs down his hair and onto his beard and onto his clothing. And she's still got more, so she starts down with the feet. She's got plenty. She doesn't want to get him really dirty, but she just goes to the next exposed part, and she starts pouring it out on his feet. And as she's down on the ground, pouring it on his feet, tears pouring out of her eyes, not tears of sadness, not, not tears of heartache, tears of absolute exalted joy. She realizes she has no towel. This woman is not a good planner. She shows up without a towel, and she breaks the whole box. She dumps everything on him. She's down on the feet. 
She's now got to let down her hair, which is an embarrassment in the presence of males. She does it anyway, and she begins to to wipe up the feet and the excess that's pouring out of her from Jesus onto her long hair. And as she starts sopping it up on her hair, it starts taking up this pungent odor itself, and she's just swishing it around. And you know if you swish an odor around, you just make it worse. And now it's on his head, on his feet, on the floor, on his shirt, on her hair. It's getting all over the place. It's on her hands. It's going up her sleeves. It's a huge mess. And we would be so scared to do this. It would just freak us out to be caught in this moment. And she's so caught up in the presence and the love and the expression of that love the movement of the Holy Spirit on her heart, that she's just exalted, sitting there on the floor. I'm betting the whole place is silent now. I bet not a person is talking. There's not a fork tapping a plate. Nothing. It's quiet. People who have been serving, her sister coming out of the kitchen, her brother aghast sitting there right next to her, Mouths are open. Eyes are open. Nobody knows what to do. The smell has just pervaded everybody's presence. And there she sits on the floor weeping and wiping, weeping and wiping, weeping and wiping. And doesn't even know it's going quiet. And there's Jesus. Looking at this woman. He's not embarrassed for her. He's not embarrassed by her. He's just smiling. Because he knows this is not the expression of somebody who wants anything from him. It's just a heart completely open to him. He just smiles. She wipes his feet with her hair and he just smiles. People are staring at her. They're looking at him for a reaction. And he just looks down at her and he smiles. Doyle runs out on the floor. Simon's never getting that out of the carpet. And Jesus just smiles. The corners of the room become aware of what's going on at the main table. And he just smiles. Their eyes begin to adjust, looking into the corner, and even the very last person suddenly becomes aware that there's somebody kneeling by Jesus with their hair down. And all they can see in the glint of the candlelight are his pearly whites. Just smile. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, John wants us to be sure we know who we're talking about, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's how we know the price of the oil in the first century. A denarii is a day's wages. 300 would be a year's wages. 
Why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Ever been in a moment with God? Ever been in a moment when things are just blessed? Maybe it isn't even with God. Maybe you're just, it's a birthday party, or maybe it's a celebration that you're with. Maybe you're just with friends and family. And some killjoy brings up something that just kills the whole thing. You know what I'm talking about? You're in that moment. It's just fun. Whatever's happening, you're, you know, you're enjoying it. You're blessed by it. You're sitting there and you're kind of just absorbing it. And then up comes somebody who's got to bring up who knows what. You know when that Mary is coming. Oh. She'll be here any moment. Oh. Got to kill the mood. Judas Iscariot. Aghast finds his voice. And he sees the face of Jesus smiling at this incident. And he needs everybody to know that he's not in favor of this. This is such a waste. Why didn't we sell this and give the money to the poor? The disciples will tell us clearly he has no interest in the poor. He's interested in the money. Jesus said, let her. She has kept this for the day of my burial. The poor you will always have with you, but me you do not have always. Jesus said, let her alone. So picture the place. It's kind of dark, it's candlelit. She sneaks in, she breaks this thing open. The odor starts to pour out into the room. The oil starts to pour down Jesus' head. She gets down. She starts rubbing it on his feet. She lets down her hair. She begins wiping and weeping and wiping. And all you hear in the room for for maybe moments is this silent weeping of a woman whose heart is exploding with joy. And then out of the silence, somebody finally speaks. What a way. How dare you waste this on Jesus like that? We could have sold this and given it to somebody who really needed it. And the next voice out of the silence is the voice of Jesus. And it's no longer a smiling face. He finds the face of the voice. And he says, let her alone. She has been saving this. She did not understand that she was saving this for my burial, but I am telling you right now, that's what it's for. This is an anointing and preparation for my own burial, for the full-on, broken sacrifice, spilled, fragrant blood for you. Let her alone. She's the only one here tonight who gets it. This isn't about party tricks and as cool as Lazarus' resurrection was, it's not what this is all about, guys. This is about the ultimate sacrifice. She's the only one here whose heart is fully committed to what we're doing here. When the Pharisee, 
who had invited Jesus, saw this, he spoke to himself. Now Judas lets it out for everybody. The Pharisees got it in his own heart without saying it. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Of course he knows. That's why he's smiling. Because she was once lost. And now she is found. She once held this for herself as a backup plan when the looks faded. And now she just trusts him for whatever days there are ahead. Of course he knows about the brokenness of every person in the room. And that's why he's smiling. There's a bit of a discussion. And he ends his discussion with Simon by saying, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to him, whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Can I say to him, whom little is forgiven, doesn't know himself very well. Because that person doesn't know God. When I smell the ocean, combined with a little bit of diesel fuel. It takes me to a memory and to a place. I'm 17 years old. I'm at a dock, a harbor. can be anywhere in the Bay Area. It might be down the coast in California, even in Hawaii. But I can smell the ocean and a little bit of diesel. And there are boats around. And it gives me a certain lift. And I know if they made a a perfume out of sea breezes and diesel, nobody would buy it. But for me, it gives me a lift. And that, that odor reminds me of my own life and my own experiences and the joys I found along the seashore with a sea breeze blowing and a faint smell of diesel cooking in somebody's motor in the harbor. Did you know that smell is one of the strongest, most powerful, most pungent actuators of memory? Now I want you to remember what she did to linger. It lingers in the air in that room for the rest of the night. And it lingers on the body of Christ 
for the rest of the year. This woman has poured the royal perfume on Jesus. And out of her excitement, mopping up the mess of her exuberance, some of it got on her. Now everywhere Jesus goes for the rest of the week, Jesus carries the smell of royalty. And everywhere she goes, she does too. The triumphal entry, Jesus riding in on a donkey, people gathered all around, little lots of spice coming off his hair and his feet. The oils on his body probably even making the stinky little colt smell better. And they're in the line of people following that little colt into the city. There's a woman. She may be bringing up the rear, but she's bringing along the scent. Jesus goes teaching in the temple and everybody who gathers around says, what is that smell? Who's here? As he walks into Pilate's house or Herod's palace, each of them recognizes the king of the Jews. Not by his clothes, but by the odor left in the room. As he goes to the crucifixion, whole crowd of people below the cross, rise the level of those feet. And two men on either side were the most pungent odor comes from his hair. What this woman does is lingering long after she's done it. Isn't that the way of serving Jesus? when you touch someone's life, when you bless, when you are involved, when you, when you give yourself your heart, you give your time, you give your energies, you, you live a lingering odor in the air of the presence of Christ. When you smell something that goes into your nose, and as the, as the, the transmitter's of that odor begin to do their work. They go just above your, no- your nose, just above your sinuses to a place called the olfactory lobe where the smell begins to be gathered in. And that process, you're, you, it doesn't filter through any sort of values, any, any sort of a, uh, of a question about what the smell is in terms of its, its, uh, its moral content. It just goes straight into the limbic system. And you respond to it emotionally. It's why perfumers sell perfume. Perfume is sold to you on the emotions that it conjures up. The way it makes you feel. Not just on its smell. Otherwise everybody would wear fresh baked bread. (laughs) Because nobody hates that. Even those who don't like bread like the smell of bread freshly baked. 
This process of smell going right through into the limbic system of your brain means that it has a real strong content with the moment. That's why when I smell the sea and diesel fuel, it takes me back to an experience. There are things in your life when you smell them. When you smell pumpkin pie, it gives you some sort of a response. Every fall, Starbucks starts pushing out pumpkin-y smelling stuff because they know half the people in this room are like, oh, it's fall. When you smell rain, it gives you an experience. When my wife smells rain, she's taken to Pacific Union College, where we both went to college, where we would be out sometimes in the rain and just smelling that, that, that rain falling through the trees and the wetness on the pavement and on the grass and the odors that would come up. That smell, it brings back memory. In this moment, this smell is touching people's lives long after the incident has passed. The disciples, after the crucifixion, go into the upper room. They file in, heads down, hearts breaking, tears going down some faces. They find their place separating themselves because they're heartbroken. Jesus has died. And into the room walks a woman who still has the oil of spikenard in her hair, on her clothes, maybe on her sleeves. And with her comes the odor of the presence of Jesus. It'll be just about a day, day and a half, when she goes out early in the morning to the tomb where she says she sees Jesus and then she rushes back and enters the room. What walks through the door with her is not only her presence, it's the last odor of Jesus. The disciples had experienced it. I mean, I mean, when when John was laying on Jesus' breast, that odor, that that spikenard was right in his face as they shared the meal around this very room as Jesus washed their feet, each one his head right at nose level as they went by, each one touched and retouched and memorizing unbeknownst to themselves the moment Each one, carrying that smell, returning to their moment, that experience with Jesus. When Jesus finishes the conversation about this woman, He said, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. After the smell has finally washed away. It may have taken weeks. It may have taken days. We don't know how quickly she was to get it off. I don't think I would have washed it off any too soon. Every time she's among the disciples, they remember. Every time that smell hits their nose, they remember. They remember the gift of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus in that crazy moment when she put 16 ounces where a dab would have done. And when each one of them sat down to record their remembrances and their record of Jesus, the lingering smell of this woman's 
extravagance hung in the air of their memories. And each one said, oh. People, a long time from now, will want to hear this story. And so, when the story of your life and mine is recorded, we have but to ask the question, What of my experience with Jesus will linger in the air long after I'm gone? Let's pray. Your gift, Lord, is more than we can imagine.